0: You know, now when we're drinking our tap water, even, even if it's, you know, filtered through, I don't want to say the name of a company, but if you use like one of those like pitcher filters or what have you, you're drinking microplastics. And that's a lot like being a non-smoker and sitting in a room full of smokers. You're smoking, even though you're not smoking because of the second hand. And that's exactly what's happened with single use Plastics or plastics in general, but particularly single use plastic water bottles, has been a a huge perpetuator of this microplastics issue. So now we're all drinking it, whether we're drinking bottled water or not. And so that's a major issue. The only way to solve it is to uncycle effectively.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. My guest this week is Rich Rasgatis. Rich is a social entrepreneur. Uh, He was previously in the tech world and CPG world, and he is currently the co-founder and CEO of Flow Water. Uh, Flow Water is the world's most advanced water refill station Um, you may have seen them in schools or, um, office buildings and things like that. Uh, they also are getting into, um, the home market and, uh, attachments to your faucets and things like that. Um, they have some huge partners like Google, Airbnb, uh, VaynerMedia, Hilton. Uh, they recently secured $15 million in funding. Um, so it's safe to say that Flow Water is just getting started, and is definitely in a position to totally change how we consume water. Uh, So we talk about what's wrong with our tap water, uh, which was very eye-opening for those that don't know, Um, how flow water is decentralizing water purification, um, how they differ from products like Brita, how they're branding non-bottled water, the problems around single-use plastics and how they plan to eliminate the plastic water bottle altogether, Uh, The driving forces behind why he started Flow Water, why his own struggles with health is why he's so passionate about health, Um, some of the things he does on a daily basis to stay healthy and well, and why we as individuals hold the key to solving the world's plastic problem. This is an awesome episode. Rich is an amazing guy, um, and he is truly tackling um, head-on one of the world's largest problems. You know, if we don't have clean drinking water, uh, we don't have anything and, um, yeah, what he's doing is incredible. And, um, I salute him for it. And, uh, I hope you enjoy this one all about water. Um, check out flow water. I'll have links to uh, his website and where you can order them for your home and office and all that good stuff in the show notes. Um, and also follow rich, uh, personally on social media as well. Without further ado, the one and only, the water dude, Rich like. All right, I got Rich in the house. Thank you for being here, man. And um, as we were just talking a little bit beforehand i um, super excited to dive into all things water, both uh, health-wise, planet-wise, uh, human behavioral change-wise, um, and, and the whole nine yards, and um, I honestly haven't covered much on water on the show. We talk health here all the time, and water is certainly something I overlook in my own life and definitely have not taken like enough steps to make sure I have really good water. Um, But I was thinking as I was diving into everything, um, I recently heard uh, Aaron Brockovich on a a podcast. And I was so fascinated and disappointed at the same time in that we all kind of, you know, think somebody's like looking after our water supply and doing the right things. And, you know, that our, our water's taken care of. And it's just scary to know that it isn't. And she's got this new book I'm sure you're familiar about, you know, Superman is not coming, it's called, and it's how we really have to, as a consumer, you know, take, take actions to make sure we have clean drinking water and good, good drinking water. Um, But I'd love to just start with kind of addressing what is wrong with our tap water from, from your perspective.
0: Yeah, the Erin um, who I met actually a couple years ago, and talked to her about what we were doing, and you know what she's doing in terms of kind of unveiling the chromium six issue, as well as you know a variety of other toxins that are in our tap water. And I I think she's doing a really good job of raising a level of consciousness and awareness and education, uh, as she did you know in in kind of the storybook. Uh, movie as represented in the movie performance in an earlier life uh, as to what's wrong with our tap water. And I think the, there's a few dynamics that are going on with tap water right now. One is we've polluted it so much over the last 30 years that we're now basically, you know, reaping what we have sown through 30, 40, 50 years of pharmaceuticals, um, you know, contaminants—some some kind of man or human-made contaminants—or uh, glyphosate. You know, glyphosate, 35 years ago, was never used agriculturally. You know, today it's the number one agricultural product, and there's data that actually shows that with the increased incidence and usage of Roundup or glyphosate, but the most common brand is Roundup. Uh, there's been an almost direct correlation statistically, in renal cancer or uh, celiac disease or a number of other diseases. And so I I think there's no coincidence that uh, we're having kind of chronic health issues that are manifesting and the quality of our drinking water is dissipated. And if we look at, you know, part of what's the issue with tap water, 70 to 80 percent of Americans just don't like it or they don't trust it. Right. And so sometimes it's because they don't like how it smells or the taste of it. And so certain markets have something that's called uh, every every market has total dissolved solids. Every water source has dissolved solids other than distilled water, but any municipal tap water. But, you know, dissolved solids end up making the water taste not so great. In some cases, it tastes terrible. Uh, And so sometimes people don't like it for that reason. Uh, Other times, though, people don't like it because of the sulfuric smell or that it's got chlorine in it or fluoride in it. Um, So there's a lot of reasons why bottled water has kind of created this massive, this, 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 they've actually started out packaged water, single use plastic water bottles have started out decades ago, creating a market where really not much need existed. But now, you know, there's no consumer access point to safe, clean, great tasting drinking water that consumers trust. And that's ultimately what we're trying to solve for. So I think, you know, my comments are not a knock against what water treatment, municipal water treatment facilities have done. I think they've done an amazing job considering what we've dished to them as consumers, Mm. what we've allowed to happen uh, through uh, commercial agricultural farming. So these systems were not set up and designed. You know, we've got leaded pipes that run millions of miles that were laid decades ago. That infrastructure is not going to get replaced probably ever, but certainly not for decades. And it's a trillion dollar project. So that's like one major issue. Uh, another major issue are all the pollutants. We're now literally, I'll give you another example. We're now literally drinking our bottled water when we drink our tap water. So a lot of people think, oh, I might be drinking my po- microplastics with a single-use plastic water bottle because, you know, they kind of like particle off and it's not just the case in bottled water. it's the case of tap water. So SUNY did a study a couple of years ago where 90% of tap water and bottled water ended up having over 300 microparticulates of plastic per liter of water. So we're now literally drinking our bottled water and that's in the system and the municipal uh, facilities were not set up to solve for that, right? And so we've got you know natural contaminants like lead, we've got human introduced contaminants like microplastics, And it's a big issue. It's a big issue. Not it's not just like a multi generational issue, which it is, but it's an issue today. I mean, we are now literally uh, in a in a precipice where water is the most essential uh, thing that's needed for survival, and yet uh, not everyone has access to clean drinking water that they can trust. And we believe that that's a human, a fundamental human right, uh, and our job is to help solve that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We or nothing without water, obviously. Um, so flow waters approach really is instead of, you know, waiting around for something that may never happen and will take decades and decades to happen, which has changed the entire system of how we all get water. You're kind of taking like, you know, the, the final couple feet of that water supply and, um, you know, drastically changing it as, as the right before the the consumer drinks it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good summary. And so another way that I might articulate that, or have articulated that is that, uh, we're decentralizing or we're gridding water purification, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, even electricity, which used to be really centralized, and now it's moving to the grid and decentralized and you can have solar panels in your home and be totally self-sufficient we're, we're effectively gridding water or micro gridding water uh, and providing, you know, taking something that is either good or adequate or potable ta- drinking water from the tap and building new infrastructure without building infrastructure. And so sometimes I just describe that as uh, in the tech world, when I used to run a couple of tech companies, sometimes people would describe their business model as owning the last mile. And I, kind of describe it in our terms around owning the last six feet of waterline, which is we've built a purification system with flow water that's so powerful. We can take any potable drinking water from any source and turn that into something that consumers will prefer to their favorite bottled water brand. And it will reduce their soda and coffee consumption as well as increase their daily water consumption just because it's a product that they love to drink. And so that's The magic for us is how do we radically change consumer behavior? I know we'll probably talk about recycling rates a little bit later, but how do we change consumer behavior and solve the tap water problem that we have in the U.S., but also in the same same token, solve the packaged water problem, the single-use packaged water, environmental cigarette of plastic water bottles that is growing pervasively and has grown pervasively over the last few decades in the U.S. and worldwide, for that matter.
1: Yeah, for sure. Have you did you uh see the documentary Down to Earth uh with, with Zach Efron there and Darren Olean?
0: I didn't know. I'm going in fact I'm gonna I'm gonna write it down and make a mental note on it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, write like, it.
1: Write it down. There's an episode there's an episode all about water in it where they kind of go to I think they, they highlight France primarily, who has kind of one of the most sophisticated water filtration systems and they've kind of redone everything so now you can you know, bring your canteen to, you know, the park and that fountain is actually like super high quality drinking water. Um, But they have a scene where they actually uh, go to a a water sommelier and are like tasting waters from around the world. And it's crazy. Like most people think water is water, but the differences in tastes are are crazy, you know, totally different tasting water from different parts of the world and depending on what the heck's in it. Um, so that, that, that was kind of like new to me because I think water is water for the most part, but, um, that's probably something you're seeing too, with people like this is a totally different tasting water. Once it goes through your system.
0: It, uh, it is. And in fact, we benchmarked, uh, as we were developing this, we benchmarked some of the world's best or most loved brands of water and, um, consumers, many consumers, not all but many consumers have. A really strong, vigorous opinion about like the taste, the mouthfeel of a water, and so uh, we benchmarked two or three of what we saw as the best bottled waters by based on uh, preference or taste or mouthfeel, and we use that as we develop the flow water technology and the refill station. Um, And I, I I typically don't say kind of in the in the mass market or or public markets what brand we benchmarked, but we uh, among one of the most premium expensive bottled water brands. When we did blinded taste tests with consumers against that bottled water product uh, in blinded tests, consumers chose flow water eight out of 10 times. And that's a flow water tapped into any water line. I mean, we could take super high TDS water in, in, in Phoenix or Las Vegas or Los Angeles that tastes terrible coming out of the tap and turn it into something that a consumer will prefer to their favorite bottled water brand. And that's how we change behavior. I mean, that's our belief and approach as to, well, how do we change behavior? And we can't change by behavior. It doesn't work very well and not for the masses. If we just say, well, we'll stop doing this because that's bad and, and do this other thing instead. If that other thing consumers don't like uh, they're not going to do it. It's that simple, right? And and so, you know, we've really taken an approach of we need to provide a gateway to get consumers to do something that they actually fall in love with more than bottled water straight from the tap. Uh, and that's what we're doing by building out a platform. And so we have a product today called the Flow Water Refill Station, which uh, is doing even post pandemic is doing incredibly well, particularly in schools, but a lot of resort hotels. Uh, are, are doing incredibly well with that and the companies that are open, partly because people have a greater awareness around wanting to ensure they're providing clean, bacteria-free, virus-free water. Uh, that's become kind of more important for the obvious reasons than it ever has been before. So that, that part of the business has gone exceptionally well for us, but we're ultimately building out an entire platform of products. So our, what we're building is a platform business around Water 2.0 and, you know, our vision is to have flow water wherever consumers work, rest, and play based on the premise that everybody deserves clean access or access to clean, great tasting drinking water that they can trust. Uh, and so for us, that includes, you know, flow water faucet filters, that includes a flow water uh, countertop uh, units, like a miniature version of a refill station, which will be launched later next year, uh, under sink systems, which will someday be developed and that will be embedded into the, the household among a variety of other products. And so for us, it ends up being solving around a, a portfolio rather than just a product basis, even though we chose the product with the greatest amount of impact and greatest amount of utility from the get-go. Uh, obviously, we're going to have to have a multitude of products to be able to get to you know consumers worldwide.
1: Yeah, yeah. How do you, I'm curious, obviously consumers are pretty familiar with you know, brands like Brita and, um, you know, some type of filtration, like if you're at a hotel gym or something, usually there's some kind of water box type thing where you can go, you know, fill up your water bottle and things like that. Um, and obviously, you know, people have the attachments on the faucets, whether it's Brita or another brand, you know, how, how do you, I guess, a differ and and B, how do you kind of get across the message from kind of a marketing standpoint um, that you are kind of the Rolls Royce of this versus just kind of what the consumer's been used to for so many years? That personally, like I don't trust most of those. So mm-hmm. it's like, how do you kind of differentiate differentiate yourself in, in that sense?
0: Well, I think starting, you know, that that's a great question. I'm um, Probably going to struggle a little bit with simplifying the answer because it's actually quite a complicated set of consumer and business behaviors coupled with technology and brand. But I'll give you a few examples of ways that, that we solve for that. Um, one is that if you look at water hardware, water has been completely, completely devalued up to this point. It, it, this is radically changing. The, the winds are shifting and there are tailwinds around um, consumers putting the appropriate value on water for what it is and what it is needed to do for human health performance, optimization, bioavailability, taste. The only exception to that, by the way, is bottled water, right? So bottled water has done this amazing job like, like big tobacco did in the sixties and seventies of duping everybody into Taking municipal water in half the cases of bottled water, wrapping it around a fancy bottle with a pretty label, shipping it all over the world, charging a thousand times markup, and then getting consumers duped into buying it for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars a bottle. Then brilliant marketers. Terrible product, but brilliant marketers. And so that's the one exception where water has not been devalued for the most part. If you look elsewhere, though, you look at a water fountain or a five gallon jug or a water cooler. Or something that typically goes near faucet or on the counter. Most consumers don't think of that in terms of brands, or they definitely aren't like walking around in an airport saying, Hey, I'm drinking this LK water fountain water. LK exactly. is exactly. Little- yeah, no one, everything are just like, I got water out of a water fountain, like tastes like, tastes like chlorine, or it tastes kind of crappy, or whatever it is. And so, you know, one element of that is. By creating a brand of hardware. And I'll use an example of a company. Casper, I think, has done a really great job of doing that. It's not that, it's not that other mattress companies didn't have great brands, but Casper took a real consumerized approach to developing a consumer brand that developed almost like a, a cult-like following. And so, you know, one of the things that we're doing is we're taking a play out of the bottled water playbook around brand building making tap water cool again and trusted and great tasting and associating a brand with a product. And so I actually just, I've had this conversation with my marketing team for years, but even before that, the entire premise of our company is, is the brand is not the hardware. The hardware is just a delivery device to get you the brand. And the brand is the water that is thirst quenching, refreshing, tastes amazing, and you can't get enough of it. Regardless of the device that it's coming out of. It might come off of a refill station that you'd find in a hotel or a school, or it might be on your faucet, or it might be on your counter, or someday another application. So, so one element of that is well, the brand really matters and how people think about the brand. And tied to that, I'll give you one other example and then I'll go back to your other questions because I could talk about this for an hour, but I won't <laughs> use our entire hour talking about brand and product differentiation. But another example of that is association, which is You know, we went into, for the first six, seven years of this business, so it's going on eight years here. But, uh, you know, first year, spent a ton of time on R&D and development and manufacturing and developing the technology. And then the second year was kind of our first, first go at, you know, commercialization and really focused. And then the last five years have been working on scaling. But when you look at where we're putting these refill stations, these are going into some of the biggest and best known brands in hospitality, uh, in corporations, in gyms. And so like, if you were to look at our logo sheet of all of our customers at the end of like the third page, you'd be like, how in the world do you guys get all of these customers that are seen as some of the world's most progressive or the biggest brands to adopt this so quickly. And that ends up driving more, kind of a halo effect of brand association, right, of going to great tech companies that are really well-known, provides a format of validation, rather than going to the 10-person insurance company in Columbus, Ohio, which Mm. is where I'm from. And so those companies are important to us. Uh, Columbus, Ohio is important to us, but that's not necessarily going to be a way to drive and incubate and catalyze the brand. And we've done a bunch of stuff with events, CrossFit Games for the last five years, not this current... You know, obviously not this current year, not a lot of events. So we have done a few, you know, Flow Water is the, water, the the trusted water of choice for the world's greatest athletes. And we've hydrated the CrossFit Games for the last five years and doing events like that, doing music festivals and creating a cool factor around the brand of what's inside this or what's coming through a hardware device that's that's developed by Flow Water is really part of the magic. The second part of that uh, answer, by the way, is, is is you have to have something that actually improves the taste and the quality mm-hmm. of the water. And it can't just be a fancy logo. If you put a fancy logo on something that tastes the same, it's for the most part going to taste the same. Brand does a little bit of something to consumers, otherwise um, there'd be no purpose in branding. But, you know, we actually use a technology that in every application we believe is superior to the competitive set. And part of that is through the removal of toxins or microplastics or viruses. Others are through, you know, other filters are the enhancement of water, adding alkalinity, increasing the pH. Uh, We use a coconut carbon filter, which gives this a super clean, fresh taste right off the tap that consumers love. So there's it's beyond magic in terms of the technology that actually is delivering this awesome consumer experience with a great UX, but brand is important too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. And as you were talking, I was thinking, I was thinking another space I was thinking like Manscaped and Dollar Shave Club, how it kind of used to be like, you just get your razor, you know, you grab your razor at CVS and it's a razor, right? And then they came in and took this very consumer focused, amazing social media, you know, cool people using it in um, really branded, you know, shaving equipment like you're doing Great. branding tap water. It's really yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, yeah that's those are those are great examples another another example is Dyson which is mm. who would ever think you remember those like world hair dryers or <laughs> yeah. hand dryers not hair dryers probably hopefully no one was using those as hair dryers but those hand dryers in the bathroom the big round button those white clunky things you know who would have thought that like you could actually create a super premium brand of hand dryers mm-hmm. in bathrooms that ended up being revered as like a cool cosmopolitan, sexy product, and Dyson has done that in hardware time and time again um, with vacuum cleaners and whatnot. Dollar Shave Club is another; that's a great example. So, and examples go on and on. You know, like we could talk about. I I even use this uh, frequently when I'm talking to my internal team, and sometimes when I'm talking to to consumers as well. As if you look at the dairy aisle, you just walk into Whole Foods, you know, and Whole Foods. Or like in grocery, even before there was Whole Foods, like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, in the dairy section, there'd be like two types of milk or two brands, you know, and then you get like half a skim milk and 1% and 2% whole milk. And those are your options, like two brands, you know, four four SKUs within each brand dairy, you know, there are a couple of players in the dairy market and yogurt. Now you go into Whole Foods and I mean, I, you know, I look at the, I look at the planogram there and I, I think we're in a yogurt bubble. I mean, there's like 80 brands of yogurt. <laughs> yep. Like you can pick which side of the mountain you want your cows grown on that were milked in, you know, a certain way. And yogurt's like can be five, six, seven dollars for a small container and talk about decommoditizing what was historically a commodity. You know, dairy is just one example out of many categories of Creating a better experience, creating a better product that's differentiated, that gets consumers what they want, um, and tying some differentiation to it. And that's what we're that's what we're doing, but we're trying to do this in a way that provides ultimately a platform for clean drinking water for everyone at price points that everybody could afford, rather than just a super premium product, even though we started with a super premium product.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um yeah, I'd love to I'd love to shift gears a bit and talk um a little bit about the environmental side. Obviously, one of your driving missions is to reduce plastic and ideally eliminate plastic water bottles. Can you maybe uh touch on how you guys are doing that and also maybe some of the the problems that I think plastic is very, you know, it's very well known that it's a problem, but you know, we all still, so maybe there's be- behavioral change <laughs> tied into this question as well, uh, because we know the problems, but we we still, um, you know, if we're in a tight spot, we grab a, a, a bottle of water at the supermarket or uh, the gas station or whatever. So um, I'd love to talk about the environmental side a little bit.
0: Yeah, 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 great. Um, well, starting first with the problem of plastic, you know, the, the most the most fundamental problem with plastic is it doesn't biodegrade, it photodegrades. You know, one piece turns into two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, until it's in the format of microplastics. And then and once it's in the format of microplastics, uh, our marine life is eating it, our, 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 our food system is eating it, we're drinking it, you know, because it's made its way into municipal tap water I mentioned earlier, both bottled and tap water have over 300 uh, pieces of microplastics per liter of water. So we're now literally drinking our bottled water. It'd be like the the, the, the metaphor almost for me, I use so many tobacco uh, and smoking analogies as it relates to, you know, single use being an environmental cigarette because so many of them apply. You know, now when we're drinking our tap water, even even if it's, you know, filtered through, I don't want to say the name of a company, but if you use like one of those like pitcher filters or what have you, mm-hmm you're drinking microplastics and that's a lot like being a non-smoker and sitting in a room full of smokers. You're smoking, even though you're not smoking because of the second hand. And that's exactly what's happened with single-use plastics or plastics in general, but particularly single-use plastic water bottles has been a, a huge perpetuator of this microplastics issue. So now we're all drinking it, whether we're drinking bottled water or not. And so that's a major issue. The only way to solve it is to uncycle effectively, which is, we have to stop, you know, because then what big bottled water loves to talk about, just like, you know, again, so many metaphors are like big tobacco in the 60s. And I've done a fair amount of study on that and how they market it and how they uh, manage regulations in Washington, D.C. with lobbyists and whatnot, uh, and some of the consumer messaging. So what do big, Bottled water companies talk about they talk about recyclability of the plastic and you know twenty percent less plastic in the cap and you know that so and so has uh, is made with recycled plastic the, that's basically like just moving from smoking marble Reds to marble lights I mean that's that's making such an incremental change okay right direction but the problem is it doesn't solve the problem like you're still smoking and you know the problem is that people don't recycle I mean recycling rates after decades of advocacy, nonprofit groups promoting for recycling. Recycling rates have remained relatively unchanged for the last 10, 15 years. I and mean, we're talking about single point shifts that you know, 25% of the US recycle, 75% don't recycle. So my point isn't, well, we shouldn't talk about recycling. Yeah, we should. Recycling is important, but consumer behavior, what we need to do is we need to figure out, well, how do we eliminate 80% of the non-necessary, unnecessary single use plastic waste. And the way to do that is clearly not by recycling and trying to drive everyone to recycle because after decades of data and hundreds of millions of consumers, we now know that that's not the solution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The solution is to get consumers not to have to have a product at all that requires any recycling. And so you know, when I, when I think about ultimately the problem of plastics, The problem is, you know, and and using one more tobacco analogy, um, if I may, you know, you smoke one cigarette, it's not going to affect your life. I don't know. Maybe even if you only did it once in your life at a particular point in time, maybe that's even like a good day for you. But you smoke 10,000. All right. Like not so good. Like you're going to have some problems. You know, you're not going to feel as good. You smoke 100,000 or a million cigarettes in your life. And, you know, you're going to have some, you know, substantial issues that accumulate over time and have a compounding effect. In drinking microplastics, exact same thing. You know, you drink one single use plastic water bottle because you're in the middle of the desert and you need something to drink. I'm not going to fault you for that. You know, I don't I don't have any critique for people that are in a use case. I mean, would I rather they reach for an aluminum or a glass bottle? Of course. But at the end of the day, there are use cases. Uh, you know, Flint, Flint, Michigan. You know, when kids couldn't get access to clean drinking water, we actually donated $60,000 worth of flow water refill stations to Flint, uh, but we couldn't solve the entire city problem. That was a really good use case for putting, you know, packaged water in the hands of kids at school where they needed to have clean drinking water. That's a tiny, tiny use case. though, in terms of what it really needs to be. And so, you know, our, our belief is that we need to do our part by putting an end to the unnecessary single use plastic water bottle uh, consumption and ultimately waste because the majority of those end up in oceans, lakes, rivers and landfills and then as I told you it turns into the cycle of microplastics now we're drinking it and I think one of the things that changes that is consumer awareness, which is you know when I tell somebody, hey the fish you know and I don't say it this this casually but if I tell somebody hey the fish are, are eating our ma- microplastics and it's making them sick you know often, they're like, man, that's really sad. Like, that's just really sad. But then they continue drinking their bottled water habitually, you know, more consistently and doesn't really Mm -hmm. change behavior. If I tell a consumer, Hey, you're coating your stomach and your intestines in microplastics as you're drinking that. And there's over 10,000 known chemicals that go into the creation of those plastics from the bottle from which you're drinking. And there's only 6,000, by the way, in cigarettes, 10,000 in the plastics and the, and the composition of plastics, and you're drinking that every day for years on years, and you're destroying your system slowly, suddenly they're like, okay, I'd like to stop doing that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a behavior shift to do something different because every time they put their lips to a plastic bottle, they're rethinking what they're putting into their body. And, you know, I think it's a, you know, a little bit like anything with life, which is most people change behavior when it impacts them directly. Mm -hmm. Quickest. That's not that's not a truism across the board. Of course, there are people that have been progressive and forerunners in this and many other movements before it affected them, uh, or maybe it didn't affect them at all. But by and large, consumers end up, you know, and humans end up making decisions based on what impacts them uh, as kind of the first order of priority or their family. And so, you know, one of the message points that I think is really important to deliver. And Aaron's doing a great job of this, of raising a level of awareness around, hey, this, you know, you've had this hunch for a long time, consumers, 70, 80% of the consumers have had this hunch for a long time that they don't like, or they don't trust their tap water. Some of them know why, some of them don't know why. Well, there's good reason why, and we need to solve that. And so, you know, the, the solution around plastics is to stop using it in as much as possible and really eradicate it where it becomes unnecessary. And that's what we're working on doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And as you were talking, I was, I'm in the plant-based food space and, you know, very similar, like I can, I can sit with somebody and I can, you know, bore them on, you know, what factory farming does to the planet and, you know, kind of all that and all that data. Right. And, you know, and they, they feel bad about it and it's sad, but they don't change the behavior. But if I say, Hey, you know, if you eat, you know, eating, this is having this impact on your health and your family's health. And, you know, just eating less of it can have, you know, this impact on your health. Um, It's, it's taken a lot more seriously, again, that like personal, them feeling it, but then it's still, even with them knowing that even with people knowing they're lining their, you know, system with microplastics or their you know, filling their body with antibiotics and saturated fat and all this stuff. Even then, most, in my experience, probably aren't going to change their habits unless it becomes extremely convenient, easy, um, accessible, right? And that, I would imagine, with with flow water is kind of to have the real impact that I know you want to have is to Make sure you're in every school and you're in every office building, and you're really saturated, so that I can actually get flow water when I'm out in my daily life.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I it, it does just go back to you know consumer awareness and then creating. Unless you're unless you know again for the most part, unless you're a bottled water company where they created a market where no need really existed at the beginning of this many years ago. You know, this really does go back to uh, consumer education awareness, catalyzing change and then delivering something of value that they say, wow, this is epic. Like, why wouldn't I do this? And it happens to be the environment. It's a, you know, sometimes the analogy that I use as a former Toyota Prius owner um, and not yet a current Tesla owner. But what I use between kind of the Toyota and the Tesla is that, you know, Toyota used to I mean, they sold a lot of those vehicles, but, it you know, it it was very specific, considering that was a mass market product and a mass market price point. I had kind of a very specific profile of someone that would buy one of those. You weren't buying it because it looked cool. You looked sustainable. So maybe that was cool, but it, I, <laughs> I can guarantee they didn't drive great. They didn't accelerate great, super reliable, but there were a lot of things that 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 machine was not good at, even though I love that Prius, but they were really great at, at kind of driving the sustainability impact. And it had a really great Environmental impact, and that was the lead. And Tesla really flipped that in some ways, which is, hey, here's a badass car. It looks cool. It acceler- accelerates like a rocket ship. You know, it's comfortable. It drives itself. And oh, by the way, like it's also good for the environment. And those are really captivating consumer behavior changes. And I don't want to underplay their you know mission around the environment, but they're selling that car and that product based on the experience, not just you're doing the right thing environmentally and so you know for for us as we develop this access is a really big part of this and so that does require us to have if we want to have a major shift and i feel like we've had a pretty solid shift so far i mean we've saved to date flow water saved over 330 million single-use plastic water bottles from oceans lakes rivers and landfills we're on track to do a billion by the year 2022 my my secret goal is to actually hit 10 billion by the year 2022. And none of my, I haven't like kind of broad basis, but I mean, that's the real aspirational is to get into the tens of billions. We have to have access for consumers to be able to do that. The fortunate thing is that nobody is ever walking around for the most part saying, gosh, if I could only find a faucet, like that's not the problem in the US. Access to faucets is not the problem. Access to clean drinking water That consumers can trust is a problem. Mm. And that's why, you know, there's nothing more convenient. I mean, there's nothing convenient about going to the grocery store, buying a case pack of single-use plastic water bottles, lugging them to my car, lugging them in the home, storing them somewhere, you know, having to replace that every two or three days, whatever it is. There's nothing convenient about that. It's incredibly inconvenient and incredibly expensive. So if we can redefine the way consumers think about water and say, everything you love about that bottled water, you can get right there on tap, on demand, tastes even better, and it saves you 50, 70, 90% of what you are paying on single use bottles. Uh, that's a game changer for us. And so, you know, access is a definite uh, catalyst to that. And, and for us, you know, one of the fortunate things is that there is a lot of access to tap water, potable tap water. We just need to change consumers' experience with that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm curious. Is this for you? Is this, you're a previous uh, tech entrepreneur of sorts, I believe.
0: Yeah, tech in CP in consumer goods. So most of my okay. last 15 years before this or 10, 12, 15 years before this was tech in consumer goods.
1: So is this a, is this an opportunity you see or is it uh, more of a passion? Is there a reason like what's, what's the why for you behind this? Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, there's, there's three concentric circles that kind of like line up that like layer into the center of what, what's, you know, super driving force for me and has been over the last seven years. Uh, One is that there's a huge need for us to solve this plastic crisis, huge and bottled water is completely unnecessary and nothing had been done in this category for decades. I mean, water fountains, water coolers, five-gallon jugs, basically unchanged and has been run by, you know, 100-year-old companies that just don't have the uh, necessarily innovative faculties to transform a category. And they've done really, really well. It's not a knock on them. It's just they were not going to transform this kind of single-use plastic migration. And the bottled water companies weren't going to do it either, just like big tobacco. I mean, until you know, the only thing that actually moved big tobacco into something that most would arguably say is healthier was, you know, people vaping, you know, and you look at mm. uh, actually many years ago, kind of one of the original non-cigarette uh, tobacco, uh, nicotine alternatives was uh, a company, was launched by companies called Blue and Enjoy and Lorillard, which is the world's largest tobacco company, ended up buying Blue, uh, which was, I don't even know if they're still around any anymore, but, you know, it's kind of gotten incubated as something else. But my point is the only way that that even evolved, and I'm not advocating, I'm, I'm, I'm disadvocating the tobacco industry, you know, seven ways to Sunday, but I'm using kind of a metaphor around even those companies, the only way they were even progressing into something that might be just less deadly than the primary product they were selling was by incumbents recreating something like they could, you know, big tobacco could have done this. They had all the R and D they had all the money. They had all the lobbying power. They could have changed regulations to like introduce new alternative products. They had scientists. They weren't going to do it. It's an innovator's dilemma. So one is we have a big problem to solve. It's not going to get solved from within the industry. Initially, ultimately the industry, you know, and I have a lot of friends actually that work at, I've developed really good friendships with people at big bottled water companies and packaged gig companies, and I don't say any of this to vilify them individually at all. It's just that this whole monster has kind of, this whole ecosystem has kind of created a monster of a problem. And, and many of these big bottled water companies are looking at, well, how do we solve this, but not kind of upset the revenue apple cart as we're solving this, right? Mm-hmm. So I ultimately think, you know, and someday maybe we'll be a part of helping them solve that because the the, the solution is to solve the problem, not to just say, well, someone else was wrong and we're Right. So that was one big reason. The second was um uh, just the complexity and the challenge of the problem. You know, no one had done this. Big market, super interesting. I like things that are hard. <laughs> so it was like well, that that's compelling. And then the third was uh, I think there's a I have a real strong wellness kind of quotient around this. And it came from my daughters. I've got two daughters, uh, they're both 17 and 18 now but my daughters Royce and Zoe were uh, 10 and 11 or 11 and 12 when, when uh, you know, I co-founded the company. And I started to see it. Actually, I noticed this before I co-founded the company. The programming of what we do to our youth that create lifelong habits is atrocious in many ways. And I, I'm even kind of condemning my own bad parental uh, allowances of, you know, like I wish I hadn't given my kids sweets at such a young age because, you know, like these donut runs that Mm -hmm. I love to do with them, like probably went on a few too many of those. And I started to realize, you know, showing up at these soccer games, and I got two kids and there's like Snicker bars and sodas or energy drinks, like carbonated, sugary, caffeinated energy drinks at such a young age. It really, it really pissed me off. I mean, it really torched me around. Like, why aren't these kids drinking water? Like, why aren't they, why aren't they, why aren't they drinking smoothies? I mean, I know why they're not drinking smoothies at 10 years old, but why aren't they doing? Why, you know, why are we, why are we injecting our kids and kind of programming them? And that's kind of what big soda has done. I mean, it's you know, it's it's like tobacco for kids. It creates lifelong dependencies and sugar addictions that leads to obesity and all sorts of other metabolic syndrome and all sorts of other issues so pretty long answer to that but those are three really foundational in the first and the third in particular plastic issue and then we have a health crisis in the u.s and what can help solve that well actually drinking enough water can 70 percent of americans are chronically dehydrated like if you feel like crap or if you just feel not great my first suggestion to anybody would be just start drinking enough water because 70 to 80% Americans are chronically dehydrated. If you look at the symptoms of what chronic dehydration are, none of them feel good for the most part. And so mm-hmm. that's one of those things that is like this super easy, like, Hey, I can start to improve my life. And then it also has improved my life, but it also has, you know, other benefits as well, which is oh, you eat better. The data shows that the more hydrated you are, the better your eating choices are, the more satiated you are, right? And then, you know, if you drink and replenish properly post-workout, pre-workout, all the data shows, oh, your workouts are actually better. You recover faster. You want to work out again sooner. And so it's a part of this ecosystem that ends up being really powerful. It's simple. You know, people just take it for granted because we have devalued water and it's time to kind of undo our devaluing of water, uh, in the same way that you probably think about plant-based foods as well. Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was a, that was a beautiful answer. Um, and I would on, on kind of the, the wellness front and, you know, obviously you, you value what you put in your body. Um, I'm curious from like, a entrepreneurial standpoint and like a high performer standpoint, obviously, you know, you've, you're running this business that I know how crazy startups are and um, you know, how do you, what are some daily kind of habits you have in place that kind of keep you, you know, well and, and functioning well and, and performing at your best?
0: Well, um, I'll give you a, I'll give you a few, that have worked for me and let me start by saying i one of the reasons why i'm so passionate around this wellness piece is because i struggle with it you know Mm -hmm. i I, and i I can tell you like just like the backdrop on it and also the backdrop on the story with my daughters and being so sensitized to the programming that was happening with my daughters at an early age uh, When I, when I went through college, I was playing college football. I could eat anything I wanted, drank anything I wanted. I was in great shape. You know, I was like 6'3", 225, 230 pounds. It was like, life was good. And then suddenly I graduated, started going to a lot of business dinners, didn't work out so much, you know, wasn't playing any sports. Before I knew it, like one day I woke up and it happened over a period of years, but I was like 280 pounds and not any muscle really to speak of. I mean, I I had really, I'd really... I had overachieved (laughs) on my weekend. (laughs) So so one day I woke up and I I saw a photo of myself and I was like, man, that is not the guy that I saw in my head, you know, and I kind of remembered. And I had a pretty radical restructuring of my life in my 30s around that, you know, and dropped maybe I was like 270, but you know, I got down to like a buck 90, 195, 200, started running marathons, you know, and 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 whatnot, I'm not doing a lot of active marathoning right now, but I'm, I'm going to work my way back to it. Uh So I speak from an experience, a lot of failure, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I have to like fight really hard with my own mental gymnastics to keep my weight between like 190 and 200 and to try to stay, you know, in the lean, like, level that I want to stay at. And it's a battle. I mean, I, I, I can down a dozen donuts faster than you've seen (laughs) anybody anybody consume donuts. I, I, you know, I have an on and off switch, like I told you at the beginning. And so let me just start by saying through a lot of failure and constant battles with the temptation of food. And it's probably more than just kind of the addictive properties of sugar. There's probably something that goes back to my childhood with this, That we can cover on a different podcast, <laughs> yeah. or I could just cover with my therapist. But uh, one is I do I do intermittent fasting pretty regularly, and that works great for me. And so um, I use the app called Zero. Uh, I don't know if you use it; I'm sure you're familiar with it.
1: No, I uh, do. I, I do intermittent fasting as well, but I, I don't don't use an app.
0: I use it. You know, sometimes I'll use an app when I'm doing poorly to till I get yeah. back again. And then, you know, when I'm on track and I've been really good for 60 days, then I don't worry about it as much. And so my IF schedule, if I'm doing a good job and, uh, and right now I'm doing a pretty, pretty good job, but you know, my off schedule is usually like an 18, six or a 24. Yep. So, you know, I'll fast for 18 hours and then have a six hour eating window or a 24, you know, a 20 hour fast and a four hour eating window. Uh, Second is I typically, if at all possible, I try to do fasted workouts, not super easy to do, but you know, that, that helps with, um, improving lean, lean muscle mass. Third thing is I consume a ton of water. So I, 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 I am a pretty avid coffee drinker, but I generally have kind of a life rule for me, which is I stop drinking coffee at 10 a.m. And switch to water, and I am like constantly hydrating. I mean, the, the only probably adverse effect that I have to drinking so much water is I'm always using the bathroom. But if that's that's the worst of it, and I get all <laughs> the benefits, it's not a very big negative. So those are those are three things that I do pretty regularly. Uh, the fourth is meal prep. Uh, mm-hmm. Simplicity of meal prep and trying to do meal prep once a week and have stuff lined up. Uh, for the week, so that when I'm in a crunch or I'm tired or fatigued, uh, and then the last two would be, I remove all the crap from my house. I just, I at eleven at night, and I'm working on like an email to my board, and I know I have another two or three hours. If I have any crap in my house, I am like that is my weakest moment where I'm just going to break down, and I just need like a little something to get me over the edge. And so I remove all that stuff and then, you know, I'll use some uh, kind of healthy snacks to kind of keep myself in a pinch. The last thing is I, I I almost, I don't drink very much, um, but no alcohol ever during the week. I mean, very few exceptions that I just is too convoluting and polluting to kind of my like clean cycle, particularly during the week. And, you know, so when I, when I consume alcohol, it's not very much, but, just almost never during the week, because for me, it's all about a pattern and a regimen and kind of setting up some rules for my life. And I'll let myself break them once in a while. But that's generally what I I, I do better when there's structure with that. And as opposed to just trying, like I need to set the structure, say, I'm going to follow this. And I'll make a few exceptions during the week, like maybe one or two, but it's pretty rare.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And I think like, you have a very high level of like self-awareness around that, right? The things that work for you and don't work for you. And I think, you know, for, for a lot of people, that's, that's kind of the kind of the key. And it's cool that I think, you know, hopefully some of the habits we picked up as kids, um, you know, maybe, maybe with, with flow water and with your daughters and whatnot, you're kind of creating these new, these new habits, these new, better habits that hopefully will stick with them the rest of their life. Um, we are getting, uh, close to close to the end of the hour here, so I don't want to keep it too long. Um, but I just want to, I want to thank you for your time. First of all, um, right, and just,
0: I, I, thanks for having me on your, on your show. It's a pleasure to, to be on the program with you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could go all day with you. Um, and, and I just, I just salute you for, um, you know, stepping into this problem that, you know, you just beautifully articulated as a massive problem and a problem, you know, we have known is a massive problem for many years. And, um, you know, to jump into such a big problem, um, I just give you massive kudos for, and I, I wish you all the very best. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are, always are like, Oh, somebody will come up with a solution to that. Somebody will come up to with a solution for X, Y, Z. And, you know, well, who's that somebody. And, um, you know, I, I just have massive respect for you, you know, being that somebody in this. Thank you.
0: Thank you. The only thing I would love to add in there, and I'm sure you feel the same way about your organization, but the the only thing I would love love to add into your, your kudos and that acknowledgement is, uh, one is, you know, I'm just one guy trying to make an impact and do something that hopefully is game-changing for the environment, but I am just one person doing that. There are 50 other people uh, throughout the United States as part of the Flow Water team that are just fiercely committed, tenacious, um, and advocates for what we can do and how we can recreate as well as so many other people you know, that are involved in this mission around raising awareness and, and a greater level of consciousness so that people do become aware of the problems of single-use plastics, what it does to the environment themselves, and how they can do something not just better for the environment, but better for them. So there, there are so many hands in this. Uh, you know, I'm super psyched to be one part of it and to have a voice in it and a responsibility in that, but I also want to just make sure I acknowledge we got a great team of people uh, at Flow Water, investors that have believed along the way from a very early stage to current and, uh, and other ambassadors as well. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so before we sign off, if you would just let us know where uh, people can um, order uh, Flow Water, uh, whether it's for their school or their home or um, whatever, where to follow on social media, maybe where to follow you personally as well.
0: Happy to do it. So uh, on the web, www.drinkflowwater.com, and that's F L O W A T E R one W. Uh, at drinkflowwater on all social media handles, and then finally for myself personally, at Rich Razgavis, and the last name is R A Z G A I T I S.
1: Awesome. And I will leave the last word to you, whatever you want to leave us with before we sign off.
0: Well, thank again. Thanks for having me on this. I think uh, ultimately, I feel like we've got a huge opportunity to do something in a major that has a major impact for ourselves as well as for generations to come. And, you know, my perspective on this is it's a little it's 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 not any different than voting, you know. And and none of this is a political statement at all about you know the right or the left, and and Democrats and Republicans. I think what if there's one agnostic takeaway from this last last election, it it, it could be one major top uh, takeaway is that votes really 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 matter. Like you know a lot of people say, well, I don't need to vote because you know this state is going to go in that direction or. You know, I don't need to exercise my 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 responsibility or opportunity to vote because you know someone else is going to do X, Y, and Z. All of us really matter in terms of our voice and our choices, and that is especially the case as it relates to changing the way that water is consumed and delivered. And we, we, the big bottled water companies, Flow Water, other companies are not going to, you know, water fountain companies they're not gonna solve the problem ultimately. I mean, what I wanna do is provide the platform and the pathway, but it's gotta be consumer choice, right? So I think that's what I get most excited about because there is a tidal wave that's coming and a mega trend away from single use plastics. But as as all of us individually, we can radically shape shift this by changing the behavior. And uh, that's what I'm advocating for. So I'm appreciative for all of those along the way that are doing that. And I think we just need to keep pressing on things that matter. Uh, so that we can get the impact that we want. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Completely agree. Thank you, man. Times are related it is your